welcome to the Earthborn Games podcast. I'm your host, Andres Carlson, and joining me, as always, is Andrew Fisher. Hello. Andrew's got an amazing Three Musketeer beard we were just talking about. Um, <laughs> we're having some laughs about facial hair. And, and, and lack thereof, in, in my case. Mm-hmm. I... I, I still Evan's got like the most, and and I think the conversation started when Evan was bemoaning the the gray in his beard. Yeah, and uh, I mean, YouTube commenters, you can weigh in, but I think Evan looks no. distinguished. <laughs> yeah, Thanks. yeah, I'm, I'm doing this, Evan. I'm I'm going to drag this out first thing. <laughs> also, Evan Simonette with the cool Hi. skunk beard. Yeah, you start it. You always start here. as always. You like get us on these fun topics that usually end up <laughs> as good being the title of the show <laughs> our, our our first segment is just us giving evan shit <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's why we keep inviting him on <laughs> and and we've also got andrew navarro who has a a hilarious uh, facial hair pattern that he just described to me <laughs> hello <laughs> i don't know if it's hilarious it's just i laughed I, a lot yeah i like to you know I, I like to grow a beard out every once in a while. Last time I grew a pretty beefy beard was a couple of years ago. Uh, it looked pretty good. It was a very, very wizardy beard. It had nice. a nice like mix of like white and lighter hair and browns. Mm. And it was kind of cool and it was, it, was, it was very full. But lately when it grows out, because I've gone in this, on this pattern now of not shaving until like seven or eight days it's or longer sometimes yeah yeah but when it grows in it's like it started to darken more around my mouth where it just i look like a like a like a primate or something <laughs> like a lemur it just, i don't know it shapes yeah. my face in this really unflattering way i do not i do not like it evans is very cool it's like a uh you know, racing says like us or like a sorcerer yeah. Must, beard yeah like where i was yeah. wizardy yeah, totally. he's more sorcery <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Black magic. <laughs> Evan's got a w- warlock beard. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, that's what I want. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You've got it. Nice. <laughs> you got like a- my favorite fifth edition class. Sorry. Fifth edition <laughs> class. Oh, really? Warlock? Yeah. That's cool. Mm-hmm. I've not played a warlock. They're fun. What's the difference mm-hmm. with those? You you have like a uh like some kind of Dark pact. pact. Yeah. yeah. Yep. With a patron and you get your powers from them, your spells and stuff. And you don't need a full rest to get your spells back. You just need to hang out for like 20 minutes or something like that. Oh, or maybe really? it's an hour. I can't remember. It's been a while. <laughs> and then the demon, you're, the demon you made the pact with, like downloads them into your, yep, into your basically. brain. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And, and it's, it's mandatory that at some point, uh, your pact with your demon derails the whole campaign as it, it, it spills over into the group in some horrible way. Yeah, I, I feel like that would be just awesome material for a, a good DM. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, we've got a great show today. It's, uh, you know, we're still doing our countdown of our top five most influential games. We've got some big ones now. We're down to number two. Yeah, number two, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. And we're going to be talking about all kinds of cool stuff from the Earthborn Rangers uh, HQ, let's call it. And we'll start <laughs> out with some listener questions. As always, we've got a couple. First one's a big one. It's from Majest via Discord. And they ask, I don't know if this question has been asked, but it's a card game. So someone's going to at some point. 
sleeves. I'm not the biggest that's, fan that's of not sleeves. A, that's not a question. I know. I, not a question. <laughs> <laughs> My question is sleeves. Okay, who wants to feel that one? Andrew? Well, we all, t- from time to time, I have, have short sleeves. I'm wearing sleeves. Yeah, I got yeah. sleeves on. So. <laughs> yeah. You we long, like them. You got a long sleeve shirt on today, it looks <laughs> <Yeah>. like. <laughs> yeah. It's hot, man. Anyway. It's pretty cool, actually, in here. I was saying your shirt is hot. Um, no. Oh, uh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think May Jess gets to more of a question here as I continue on. Just stay with me here. Um, they say, I'm not the biggest fan of sleeves, particularly for a sustainable, as little plastic as possible game like ER. But they have two advantages, mash shuffling and card protection. With mash shuffling, fine. I'll learn how to riffle if I have to. But for card protection, there are are there any sets, path or ranger, of cards that get used more frequently than others, like the standard encounter set in Marvel Champions or Ghouls slash Rats in what's that? A H Arkham Horror. Arkham Horror. L C G. Yep. Because that's what I mostly use sleeves for. So the constantly in use cards don't get damaged and identifiable in the shuffle deck. Also, if there are frequent sets. And so I'll want to sleeve at least the currently in play cards. How many sleeves roughly would I need? Assuming two rangers in play and the path deck. I'm guessing less than 100. There's the question. Yeah, so sleeves. Do we recommend them? If so, how many for the game? Sorry, Anders. Next time I'll, I'll try to edit down. <laughs> yeah, <could> you, uh, <laughs> but I, think, I, I just copy and pasted the, the, the full Discord comment. I feel like May Jess, though, took us on a journey there. I, I enjoyed that. Yeah, <laughs> it's did. entertainment. Well, Andrew, yes. you've talked a bit about sleeves, I think, in one of our sustainability sec- segments earlier on. Um, do, you, do you kind of want to... Um, uh, Talk a bit about that. Sure. Yeah. Well, I talked, I don't think I talked about it on the podcast, but I definitely talked about it during the Kickstarter because a lot of people had okay. questions that came up pretty frequently. Like, Hey, is there a sustainable option for sleeves? And at the time, and I feel like it's still true now that there is no non-plastic, uh, like no, no, no non-petrochemical plastic alternative for sleeves yet. But at the time, uh, there was a little blurb on Ultimate Guard's website where they were talking about their push toward more sustainable materials. And they mentioned sleeves as part of that. And the way I understand it uh, from <clears throat> some people that I've heard who uh, have some you know, inside information is that it's something they're working on, but haven't been able to get those sleeves up to their uh, standards of quality where they feel like it's good enough to release as a product. So my hope has been that by the time Earthborn Rangers comes out, that they'll be available. Maybe they'll solve whatever problems they're having with those sleeves and then we'll have a uh, sustainable sleeve or someone will, uh, will, will make that happen. I I would love to make that happen with Earthborn, but we have so much other stuff to do that I, I can't even imagine trying to take on this project of working with a manufacturer to engineer sustainable sleeves. Um, 
but I would love to. So if anyone's out there listening, who's like, oh, I have, I have the capabilities to do that right now. Please let me know. I'd love to hear mm-hmm. from you. Info at earthbornraingames.com. Uh, yeah. Yes, correct. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, so, it, but in the meantime, I feel like the best, my my personal recommendation for like the best sleeve option for, for like, uh, for a product that has as little waste as possible is dragon shields. Because uh, those come in a very plain recyclable box. They're still wrapped in shrink, but the sleeves inside the box aren't wrapped in anything. So it's just a recyclable box and then some sleeves. And they're pretty high quality. So you can use them again and again and again. Uh, So I think if you are someone who wants to buy sleeves and feels conflicted about it because of this product and the mission of the product, that's what I would recommend. I don't know. Do you guys have any other recommendations for sleeves? No, I, I I think that's a I think that's a good one. I mean, like a lot of them are going to come in plastic packaging, you know. Like, um, I think most of the other brands do. So yeah, a lot I of them come sounds... in like a plastic sealed bag that's not recyclable, and then the sleeves are then inside another bag inside of that bag. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is Here's a great. My, I haven't asked a layman question in a while. Um, do people generally put card games like this into sleeves? I would imagine more like you know, card games where there's a vast array of cards where there's rare ones and stuff. Like everyone gets the same cards for this game, right? Is there a difference or? Well, I think there's some of that, but to the second part of this listener's question, it's a, it just protects them and keeps them looking nicer for longer. Right, right. You should sell individual replacement cards if they, you know. Wreck one, <laughs> right? Well, I, I always felt kind of pressured to sleeve my cards when I first started working at FFG, and I didn't want to, and I didn't understand the reason, and I liked the feeling of the paper, you know, texture of the card, the cardstock. But now I sleeve my cards like champions and stuff, and I'm I've been kind of indoctrinated into doing that. <laughs> But I also would probably have destroyed all my cards by now if I hadn't just by use usage and shuffling and stuff. So I think it also depends on the sweatiness of your hands. Yeah. Like I have <laughs> I have very dry hands and so I haven't had a lot of problems with Lucky. my cards. But like yeah, I, I have friends where like they'll just disintegrate, you know, their cards, right? It'll like um just because, you know, their their hands are sweatier. Um so I, I think especially people with sweatier hands, like the the sleeves really help keep things. Or- when you have your friend over that eats like Cheetos or yeah, yeah. Doritos or something, and then they, they reach for your cards. Yeah, don't eat no snacks. One, while no one's eating Cheetos this. and touching my copy of Earthborn Rangers. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, to that uh, second part of Majest's question, which is basically, um, what parts of the game do we recommend sleeving? Um, if you're just going to sleeve only parts of it. Um, there's one obvious part, which is the Ranger deck itself. So each player has 30 cards and then a roll card that you probably want to sleeve just for and your aspect card. So let's call it 32 cards. Um, these ones are going to get like these are the ones you're going to be touching constantly. They're going to be in your hand, your potentially sweaty hands. And uh, these are a really good target for sleeves. And but you can just, you know, just like you might do with a magic deck you build or something. You just need to sleeve the deck itself. So, you know, in your example of two rangers, that's what sixty-four sleeves between your two decks. Those are going to be your highest traffic cards. 
Um, from there, though, it gets a little trickier because the other kind of most heavily used cards in the game are going to be all of our path cards, uh, which kind of represent everything you're finding along as you journey through the valley. And the path deck is constructed from all sorts of different sets of path cards based on your conditions in the game. And so because we're creating this custom path deck every time you travel to a location, it's sleeving your path cards is kind of an all or nothing proposition because if you sleeve one set and not another, you can't shuffle them together anymore. And so there are like, what, like 160-ish path cards in, in the game, something like that. Andrew. Oh, okay. and so <laughs> something like that. Yeah, I could do. Yeah, I, I have all I, the I numbers written I, down. <laughs> I, I should have just put them in the in the show notes. I, I didn't look them up somewhere in that ballpark. So, you know, at least two full packs of sleeves to get full coverage on your path cards. Um, so I don't know. I. It kind of depends on how hard you are in your, are in your cards. I think you could get away without sleeving your path cards. Um you do have to shuffle them when you shuffle the path deck, but you're only shuffling like a fifth, little 15 card deck, so it's pretty easy to like lightly shuffle. Um, so if you're really looking to stay minimal, I would go with just your ranger decks. If you're looking for the next step, I would do all the path cards. But a lot of the locations and the missions and the weather aren't going to be shuffled and aren't really going to get enough like touching to warrant the sleeves i think yeah i think the one one important deck that you missed though which i think is going to get shuffled oh, more yeah. anything else is the challenge deck that's uh, a good point which is 24 cards and uh you you'll be shuffling that deck multiple times in a game uh unless you're you know luck of the draw you don't draw a reshuffle icon which can happen but uh no you're right they're gonna be touching that a lot yeah i would i would definitely sleeve your challenge deck uh so yeah, there's 156 but, by my current count path cards. Okay. Um, but you could the challenge deck. You can sneak those extra 24 cards in with your ranger decks. You're still under 100, which is the usual amount of a pack of sleeves. Yeah, I was curious about this question, like because they mention only sleeping the uh, the ghouls and rats. <laughs> I don't know how that would work in in arkham horror because you, you do have to mix those with the other sets as well when you build your mythos deck then you would so I'd imagine you'd still have to you still have to you know sleeve those cards too i don't know maybe well, he just, just leaves you them really sleeved. know you really know when a rat is coming yeah yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah maybe maybe they meant that they you know they only uh they leave those ones sleeved and then take the other ones in and out mm-hmm. and i was well, thinking oh. yeah i was thinking about this question though earlier this afternoon and i think it would be It'd be kind of cool because I, I like Evan at first <laughs> didn't. Yeah. I like Evan. <laughs> uh, didn't sleeve my cards uh, at first when I first started playing this style of game. Cause I, I do like that feeling. And there's also something cool to, to have your cards kind of like show wear over time. Cause it mm-hmm. just kind of shows that you've, that they've been played and enjoyed and you love them. Yeah. Uh, but also, like Evan, I just kind of got in this habit of sleeving everything. Um, and I don't know why, because there's some things I just I don't play very much at all, but they're sitting in my box all sleeved it's, up. Well, I was going like to say a that's, collector's habit or something. Yeah. That might be a way of for sustainability is to take the sleeves off of a game you don't play anymore. Pop mm-hmm. them on here. Yeah, that's what, I, 
I was going to say that very thing, Anders, is that uh, I think the best thing you can do for sustainability is just reusing your sleeves. Just yeah, just don't buy freshies all the time. I I had an idea. Maybe it's a dumb idea, but I think it's million dollar idea. Um, it's like <laughs> gaming gloves. You just buy some gloves and they got little like latex little white gloves. pads <laughs> and you can grip things really easily or something. Oh, it sure. Like, I don't know. It's kind of funny, but I also think it, people could get behind it. <laughs> you could use like those old like receiver gloves, those football receiver gloves that have the little tack on them. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Batting yeah. gloves. Why, why, why sleeve your cards when you could sleeve your hands? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or just the, maybe just finger socks, you know, like <laughs> I think something. you should do yeah. some like branded Earthborn gloves. Be the first. <laughs> and, Earthborn and can, finger yeah. socks. That'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be great. The Kickstarter uh, <laughs> goal. Sleeve your fingers, not your cards. <laughs> just the fingertips the only. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Just well, like those things that uh, that they, I've, I've seen those. Mm-hmm. where it's just like this little plastic thing that goes over your finger like yeah people who, who use a lot of paper and you're constantly mm-hmm. like sealing envelopes or something oh maybe yeah, you could yeah. dip your hands in, like you know when you get wax hands at like a <laughs> carnival you dip them into something that wears off <laughs> to begin the after game after a few yeah. hours everybody right. dips yeah. into the hot wax <laughs> <and> just... <laughs> <laughs> that may cause problems of its own um but i think i think the gloves that's a great idea all right let's move on to the next question thanks for the question may jest um this one comes from kuraban via discord in a previous episode there was a brief discussion of digital card games both with and without physical counterparts has any thought been given to producing a digital version of earthborn rangers either as a premium tabletop simulator mod or as a standalone game Yes. <laughs> the All right, our next question. Okay, <laughs> yeah, we've definitely talked about it. I, I think um, we are absolutely going to do a uh, like an official TTS mod um, that hopefully will have you know some bells and whistles, but mostly be pretty straightforward uh, that we'll make available. And then beyond that, uh, we'll have to wait and see. I, I was contacted by a couple different people about doing like a digital version of the game uh but it hasn't really gone anywhere um i think with the experience i have had making digital card games i would say that <laughs> if we did a like a standalone app it would be something that would be based on it and not it exactly mm-hmm. i would imagine mm-hmm. uh just because I don't know. I, to me, just taking a card game and just making a video game out of it, like one for one, it's just not an awesome experience. Uh, so mm-hmm. I'd want to, whoever, if we did it, I'd want to work with someone who is willing to invest the time and energy and, and kind of making it its own thing. That'd be pretty sweet. I will say that one thing that has come up a lot while we've been working on, especially the campaign guide, it, as I'm, I'm sure a lot of people can tell from you know uh, our Kickstarter and us talking about the game, the campaign guide takes a lot of inspiration from a lot of other kind of branching narrative role-playing games. Mm-hmm. And we want the world to feel as reactive as possible. And so there are so many times when we're working on something in the campaign guide where you know, we're trying to create the logic tree to route the players without it like them having to flip between pages too much and we're just like this would be so easy if 
if you yeah. know like if, if this were an app and they could just like you know click and it would load you know everything that they've already done before and yeah. route them uh so we, we've definitely mm-hmm. felt like some of the constraints of the tabletop uh medium in is making especially kind of the role-playing side of the game yeah uh so one thing i could see which isn't really a digital version of the game but i could really see us doing a digital version of the campaign guide to use along with the game in place of the physical campaign guide it would have all the same words and material but just enable you to um interact with that easier and more elegantly and I think something like that would probably be more uh, within our scope right now than an entire digital version of the card game. Like Andrew said, they can get very involved to program all the different logic and you know get all the UI for a very complex set of interactions in a card game. So I, I think if we went into the digital space, it would probably be with something like that or like Andrew said, a entire foray into the digital space inspired but not directly like earthborn rangers yeah i think it would be a really awesome video game it would (laughs) it'd be really cool i excites when uh evan was working on that swift 3d model i really wanted to pop it into unity and (laughs) and animate it still might yeah i I would love to see that yeah Yeah, it wouldn't take that long (laughs) maybe Corey can do that I was oh, yeah. yeah. When Corey came on board, I was I was like, oh, he can do all these things for us. And one of them was, hey, Corey, you can finish the 3D model, the Swifts. You know, you got nothing to do, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for your question. Uh, so I think the answer is something, something like that. Um, our next question is also about what's next. It's from Mixolech. Any hints as to what's next for Earthborn Games after Earthborn Rangers fulfillment? So when it's done, what's next? So I talked about this a bit when I was on the uh, Team Covenant live stream a couple months ago. And uh, nothing's set in stone yet, but we've been, we, we definitely have plans and we've been talking about what we're going to do. And I think uh, our current plan is to do another Kickstarter for more Earthborn Rangers content uh, that would include a reprint of the core set. So we have, you know, Fisher's been working on a uh, what amounts to like a line plan with all of the expansions we've discussed and kind of dreamt about and has put it all together. And I think on the on the Covenant live stream, I talked about doing a Kickstarter for the entirety of the line of Earthborn Rangers. So like every expansion that we do, and then it would just fulfill in waves, you know, over the next several years. Um, but I'm kind of going back and forth in my mind right now whether or not we should do that or just do them, you know, step by step and just do multiple Kickstarters uh, along the way. Um. So yeah, I think that's the that's the thing. I think that's the the next next thing. Uh, but then you know we have this other game that we're cooking on in the background that's pretty awesome. Uh, mm. That'll that'll come after that. Uh, Is it set in the Earthborn world, 
No. Okay. Okay. Oh, exciting. Well, I guess it could be. We, you know, that's still up in, <laughs> up in the air, but yeah. as conceived, no. But it'd be okay. easy enough to wrap it in, I think. It's 1930s gangster. <laughs> I don't know. I couldn't think of anything more different. <laughs> yeah, we'll, cool. we'll talk about more about that when, you know, it'll, it'll be a while, I think, before we really start talking about that game. Hmm. Awesome. Well, that's did, all the questions we have. Sorry. Did you have anything you wanted to add to that, Fisher, about our upcoming expansion stuff? Oh, no. I, I, I was just going to keep... I was going to let you handle this question. <laughs> um, my, my lips are not tight enough to answer a wildly speculative about the future question like this. So I was yeah. going to leave this one to you. Yeah. All, <laughs> all my, you know, my years of training of doing interviews at FFG where I couldn't say anything at all ever. <laughs> I, I, I usually preferred interviews where, you know, there was uh, the ability to edit out something. If I go like, if I say something, I'm like, let's just uh, cut that from the final edit if you could. Yeah. <laughs> they just left everything in. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So you can't give us any, can't give us any hints, huh? What you're, what you're brewing. Expansions. Well, I, I talked about it pretty extensively, I Expansions. think. Expansions. I'm talking about this thing. next game. I'm, I'm oh, yeah. the next game. <laughs> no. <laughs> Nothing, nothing. <laughs> no. Keep the people <laughs> guessing. Stay tuned. You might get some hints someday. <laughs> um, well, that, that does it for our questions. Thanks for writing, everybody. Get hold of us in all the places. Um, let's talk a little bit about what's going on during your work day. And we'll start with our favorite guy, Evan. Who loves talking? Who loves? Yeah. Who loves talking about this stuff? We have this uh, Google Doc that we prepare the show notes on, and Anders saw me like vigorously typing this out moments before the show. <laughs> and I couldn't uh, well, resist because I, I couldn't yeah. resist typing in there. You waited yeah. this long to type this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's it's honestly there isn't much um, new going on in my corner of Earthborn. I'm continuing to uh i'm doing my best to um finish three pieces of my uh own work for the game a week and it's been going good so far but i got a little i was set back a little bit this week um but i feel pretty good about it and i um also like getting the final art in from artists and final like locations and features and stuff like that um one cool one is speaking of the um the swift the 3d model the swift um one artist turned in a um near i guess not near pretty close to complete um piece of art for the topside mass which is like the feature that represents the top part of um lone tree station where uh the swift the airship um is docked and it was fun to see that airship being realized um beyond the constraints of a gray default blender um material <laughs> and rudimentary like primitive shapes that make up the legs and stuff so um the artist did change some of the things and uh, i'll have to you'll have to look at what the artist did andrew um because i'm kind of interested but i also am like wondering you know <laughs> how to how to toe this line between sure the original design and the where the artist takes it. I think it's cool, but 
Um, yeah. Anyways, if it's you pretty think exciting it's cool, to see that. it's probably good. Yeah. It. Well, it. I guess it's cool, but um, it. I need to figure out if it's still fits in the aesthetic of the setting. Uh, in your in your opinion, that's, that's essentially the the thing that um, I have a question about. But it's cool. Oh. Um, uh, yeah. Beyond that, um, last week I finished the um, Hydrolens goggles and. That was pretty neat. I I wasn't sure how I had this. I always had this idea for it. And when I pitched it to Andrew, um, I wasn't sure how he'd respond to it. But you you ended up liking it. And my idea for the Hydrolens goggles is this kind of like headset uh, that with these little arms, armatures that come out in your field of vision. And they project like they hold a thing of like a droplet of water within a force field and like kind of compress it to the point where it almost becomes a lens, you know, it's like a, a impromptu lens. And, um, I was having trouble figuring out how to, um, convey that there's a force field acting upon it, but I think it ended up looking pretty neat. So, um, yeah, it's yeah. cool. It's like, it has all these little ripples in it, which mm-hmm. I would yeah, think could, at that moment, it'd be pre- probably really difficult to see through, but then <laughs> it would clarify. I, well, I was, I was thinking that I was like, well, I know this is a, probably a, would be a pain in the ass to look through, but I have to also show what the nature of the surface is or whatever. So yeah, like you said, it's maybe they just fired it up and it's like the interference pattern has to pass through itself and whatever. So yeah, it looks very cool. So it's something. Yeah, I I was really, I was really impressed with how you could get both the water effect and the kind of like vibration effect across. Like, you can tell it's water, but you can also like almost hear the image humming in, in what you can see. It's very cool. That's awesome. So, so that is just something that you will see, or is it actually like described somewhere? Well, it's kind of. I mean, the the way that mechanic the uh, the text and the game text is formatted. There's a bit of narrative that's woven into the beginning of each mechanical description, right, of the card, and that does a fairly good job um describing what the nature of the goggles are i think okay cool i was wondering if you had to just <laughs> convey that just with the image um yeah there is well there's yeah there's a so there is a test on the hydrolens goggles and so the test has a little bit of narrative in um describing what you were doing when you perform that test uh but you know uh that's like what a total of like eight words of flavor yeah. and uh, you know, a picture, it, it, pictures worth a thousand words. So you're way ahead of us on this one, Evan. Yeah, uh, well, I have some yeah. fa- flavor text on that one too that helps describe that a little bit. Cool. Oh, cool. And I like that the um, the unit, the increment is called drops because I was thinking that when I was making it too, like it just takes a drop and maybe it's some sort of specially purified water, you know, that allows the the best clarity or something. So, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that was a fun piece to make. Um, but uh, it also is a little bit different from the rest of the gear art because throughout this, the art for this game, we're trying to um, try not to show like the bearers of gear just to help players imagine their Rangers uh, character in that uh, moment or wearing that gear. But in this case, being Hydrolens goggles, I had to include the wearer's head. So it's a unique piece of art in that it, um, you know, shows, shows a person's face when the rest of the gear is like what they're wearing on their arm or, you know, on their shoulder or something like that. Yeah. 
So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty much awesome. what's going on with me. Dart. Sweet. Well, let's talk. Fisher, what do, what do you want to share? Yeah, well, um, I've kind of had a bunch of random stuff these last couple of weeks. Uh, not as singular a task. Um, I did a bunch of work on our rule book, kind of get to get all cleaned up uh, and um, have been working on our missions um, and the campaign guide. There's been a, that, that's kind of our remaining task to, I mean, obviously we have lots of remaining tasks, but that's one of the, the biggest, most urgent things in kind of my world is getting these missions and the narrative all cleaned up. So I've been working on that. I, um, uh, I, I, I tricked the, the rest of the Earthborn team into uh, re-sleeving my physical prototype for me <laughs> uh, when we went out for beers. You know, I, I brought it. I brought. I brought it with me and made them re-sleeve. Here, I can. For for YouTube viewers, this is this is everything sleeved. I believe <laughs> this is the entire game. Um, it, it takes a while to prototype up. Yeah, it's a. Uh, oh, it's a beast. <laughs> uh, so I've got a whole physical prototype, which, you know, obviously we can play test in Tabletop Simulator, but there's something about the kind of physical process that I really enjoy, and it gets me away from my computer for a bit. Um, so been getting started on that, and that's going to continue. Um, uh, another exciting thing we got started uh, since the last podcast is um, we've got a writer on board to get the art and lore book all written up. Uh, we have a lot of material already. Um, Sam Gregor Stewart has been doing world building for a couple of years for this game. So there's a ton of material, but as you can imagine in like an iterative process like this, it, a lot of the material has changed or, you know, been built upon the sense a lot of this world building has been created. So the writer we brought on, she's going to be taking a lot of Sam's world building and then like fleshing it out into profiles that, um, uh, kind of give a lot more detail and a lot more complete view of a lot of things and also you know making sure it's all accurate with the game and filling in some gaps to help with context of the your actual game ex- the actual game experience so she's kind of got this uh um tricky job of both digging through all of our world building work from the last couple of years but also building upon it um but i i'm really excited to have her on board i think she's going to do a good job uh so uh getting that book together is really exciting because it's going to really help kind of fill out the setting in, in a very cool way. Mm. Um, and then the last thing that's been kind of on my plate lately is uh, Brooks has been hard at work on the first campaign expansion uh, that is part of the Kickstarter. Uh, we've talked a bit about it on the podcast before. I won't go into too many details because we did spoiler tag the last time we talked about it. But uh, we basically have a first draft of all of the path cards blocked in. Um, and now we're kind of working on the story structure for it. So uh, next up for that, in addition to kind of finishing out the story structure, is going to be actually putting those path cards through the ringer and through testing. Um, because at this stage, as was true with the core set, there's there's a lot going on. You know, we try to throw a lot of ideas in and kind of see what sticks and what doesn't. And so we're going to have to do some work kind of figuring out and honing each set to kind of get it, give it mechanical themes. Um, you know, it's uh, chipping away at the marble to, to find the statue underneath that is going to be uh, th- this final expansion set. But 
that first stage of getting something down for everything in in the box is uh, it's a big milestone, and so it was it was cool to to see everything uh, on the table last week. Cool. Everything I've heard has been awesome, so I'm looking forward to playing it. Yeah, it'll be fun. Super cool. Andrew, your turn. Okay. <laughs> Go. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'll reiterate uh, what Fisher was saying about the the lore book. Uh, so <clears throat> I had a chance to meet with uh, the writer and, and Sam, and uh, I think we could say who it is, right? We're not. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. She, she's contracted. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a uh, Lisa Farrell. Is it Farrell or Farrell? I, I I've only spoke. I've only written to her, so I don't actually know how to pronounce it. Okay. That's part of the yeah, reason I, I didn't say asked. her name. Should have asked. <laughs> uh, she's a writer who uh, did a lot of work for us at uh, FFG. She worked mm-hmm. on the the World of Android book and the Investigators of Arkham Horror book. A lot of L five R stuff. She wrote one of our novellas, Exodus, the uh, mm. story about the clone Ken Tenma. <laughs> um, awesome. So she's uh, very experienced. And yeah, I had a chance to meet with her last week, uh, which was uh, which was really great. And uh, I could tell right away that it was going to that she was a, a good choice because we were chatting on Discord. And uh, she asked some questions about the the ideals that the shapers follow, because I just had thrown out these couple of uh, roll cards. Like one of them is uh, adherent to the first ideal, and others adhere to the second ideal. And she asked, well, you know, what are what are these ideals that the shapers follow? I was like, I don't really know yet <laughs> exactly what those ideals are. I feel like they would have them, uh, but I don't know specifically what they are. Yeah, and as I was writing my response and kind of like fleshing that out a little bit, uh, right when I finished, she uploaded this thing that she had written and it was almost exactly what I had just written to her in response. So I was like, Oh yes. Awesome. Clearly Hmm. someone who's on the same, uh, uh, bandwidth. Mm -hmm. So that was great. And, uh, she turned in her, uh, outline yesterday and I read through that. And really, really loved it and then read through it again today and then commented on it. And uh, it's going to be great. So, yeah, like Fisher said, there's a bunch of stuff that we've already written in the lore documentation. But a lot of that's really just meant for us, uh, not really meant to be read by anyone else outside. It's not like really written that way at all. Mm -hmm. So we'll probably have about maybe like 10,000 words that we pull over from from that document and then edit it. But. I would say about two thirds of this book will be new writing and I'll have new, you know, little, little bits of fiction. And yeah, it's, it's uh, based on the outline. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be really, really awesome. So that's cool. Uh, I've also been doing some writing myself. I've been working on flavor text. It's been, it's taken me much longer than I wanted to. And I know that Fisher wants me to get it done and I'm working on it. (laughs) <laughs> uh, well really uh our, our partners, the partners want you to get it done <laughs> yeah they do want me to get it done it'll get done they'll, it, they'll have it plenty of time uh so i've been working on that writing flavor text for cards uh that's been fun uh i've also been getting some more fulfillment quotes shipping you know mm-hmm. so reaching out to a lot of different potential fulfillment partners and uh that's been going pretty well i the pace with some of the interactions is a little slower than I would like. 
it feels kind of glacial, but I, cause I just want to have it settled. But I mean, honestly, I guess there's really no huge rush. Uh, as long as we're working on it and have it done mm-hmm. sooner rather than later, that's the most important thing. But man, would I love to have all that f- shipping stuff figured out. Um, so doing that, that's not super fun, but it's important work. Uh, but more fun is I've been, I've started placing art in cards. So framing up artwork and then, uh, having it show up on cards, which is pretty, pretty awesome. So that like when, when I worked as a graphic designer at FFG, there are a few years where I was the only person who framed art on cards on all of our card game lines. Like that was just the thing that I, I just kind of took ownership of and I either I wouldn't let anyone else do it or <laughs> it was just assigned to me or a little bit of both. <clears throat> mm-hmm. how, how many cards do you think in your life you have framed up? Oh, my God. That's an excellent question. They just all blend together. A couple th- <laughs> three, few thousand, two thousand, yeah, three thousand. Something like that. I was going to say, it, yeah, it's got to be, yeah, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, in the thousands. Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> uh, Andrew, what do you what do you think of my process with the large format document and stuff? Yeah, I think being it's someone good. that is framed art. <laughs> I, I uh, yeah, I think it works great. It's uh, it's a little laborious because I only have one monitor. If I had two monitors, yeah, it would be too. a lot lot better. Uh, yeah. This is the first. I was telling Fisher last week. This is the first time I've really missed not having a second monitor because I have to do a lot of jockeying between windows when I'm yeah. dragging things over and stuff. I, I think the, <clears throat> the only thing I don't like is having to do a search for the card in the PDF, find the page number, then go over to the document. This is, this is thrilling. Listing, sure. <laughs> it actually go really over... piqued my interest just now. Keep going. <laughs> oh, okay, great. Uh, go over to the uh, into the PDF file, drag that into Photoshop, yeah. select mm. the proper page number, and then place it, and then work with the art placement inside of there. Because we're we're really building these cards uh, like very artisanally, where we're framing them up one by one with cool like art that breaks over the frame whenever possible. So to do that, it just, it just requires a lot of handwork. So, uh, but I think the results are are pretty awesome. So each card has been taking me, I don't know, maybe around 10 minutes, give or take, uh, which is a lot when you think of the number of cards we have, uh, how many cards, some of them take less, but, Remind us how many cards there are in the game. Uh, there are 267, 276 Ranger cards, 156 Path cards, 37 Location, bunch of weather cards, mission cards, et cetera, et cetera. All with their own unique piece of art on them, right? No, those, those no. so the Ranger cards, you can kind of split those in half because there's mm-hmm. two of each. So there's, okay. Uh, okay. what would that be, 143? Unique Ranger cards. And a half. Yep. And then the uh, path cards, there's a, a mix. So some of them, there's like three of a kind and some there's just one. And so it's, it's, I don't know how many unique cards there are of the path cards off the top of my head. 
Yeah, the path cards are the trickier ones, though, because our ranger cards all have a fixed window for art. But with the path cards, uh, we <laughs> have our text box scaling based on how much text there is. So the less uh, the less text there is on the card, the more art you get to see. But it makes framing a bit more of a unique challenge because you don't have a consistent window. Instead, one card might have this giant vertical window with like just a couple words at the bottom, whereas another card that, uh, you know, Brooks and I over-designed has just a little <laughs> sliver for art and then a bunch of text. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think, though, I think the way we've, you know, I think Evan's done a great job of paying attention to the the cards as they've, as they've worked on them and commissioned or composed to fit the frame. And they've, They've, some of them have changed a little bit here or there, but by and large, they're they're pretty accurate. So it's not terrible. I think the 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 most laborious path card to make are all the NPCs because they have a pretty, depending upon the NPC, they have a, yeah. a pretty variable text box. And I want all the NPCs to have uh, approximately the same size faces so that they look consistent when they're on the on the table. So trying to frame them up with a consistently sized head slash face and then also making a good looking composition. I've spent a lot of time kind of noodling on that. And those are the ones that take the longest. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's been, that's been really fun though. Uh, kind of getting, getting back to my roots there. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's uh, so that that's been cool. So I've been, been enjoying doing that. The location cards much, much easier to place, <laughs> especially because of the way we redesigned them, where we have a, this pretty big art, open art window that opens up in the top and on the right. So the location card just kind of just drop in there and I have to do a little bit of cloning or content aware filler on the outside to fill out some of the bleed. But for the most part, those go in pretty easy. Mm. Thankfully, it's just a lot of sky for the most part. Right, right. <laughs> Being locations, yeah, in the but valley. I think in the art book it'd be cool to be able to see more of that stuff that you're that's going to get cut off on uh, yeah. a few of those cards. It's it's been pretty exciting to I you know I I did a new export from the script with all the play start today, and it's very exciting to see all the cards with the art on it. I've been playing with cards with blank art windows for months <laughs> and months, right? And it suddenly like they feel so much more real and like. I, I think that's something that sometimes people can underappreciate is how much art can add to the, like, not just like your immersion, but actual like game comprehension, just because mm-hmm. it is easier to spot and even remember what the mechanics are. If the mechanics are very closely matched with what it's thematically representing, seeing that art can help remind you what the card does in the game. And so it actually makes your kind of comprehension of the board easier mm-hmm. and uh can kind of change how you're actually even understanding the mechanics and you know we're missing that for a lot of play testing just because of you know the logistics of of, of the right. amount of time art takes so seeing all these you know fully realized cards on the board is is, is super exciting mm-hmm. that is yeah yeah I, I you know i've done a couple pieces for this game and when evan plopped them into the the framing it was so thrilling to see that just as an artist to see, you know, my art in like this super cool way. I love how the, how bits of the, of the character or whatever kind of overlap the, the borders of the, the card. Mm-hmm. So cool. Mm-hmm. And, and the design, like the, the graphic design of the cards is really unique. I love it. Anyway, that brings us to our next segment. <laughs> our five most influential games. Number two. 
And we're going to start with me. Andres Carlson's top five. <laughs> just some guy. Just some guy you know from this podcast. Um, <laughs> I know people are wondering. We're, we're all just guys you know from this podcast. I know. That's, that's yeah. I, Sometimes I, I, I've thought about that. I'm like, does anybody care? Like, I'm just a guy. I don't have anything to do with games or anything. Uh, but don't, don't doubt yourself, Anders. Yeah. I, I can I can look ahead on the show notes, and your your choice today is a great one. Okay, so cool, cool. You're fine. All right. Yeah. I'm, I don't I don't feel insecure about my choices. It's just like, do people care what I? But I think you I know, care. Maybe, okay, this is for you guys. But but you know, people who've listened to every episode, they've gotten to know me. I think, and they probably are curious to know that my number two game is uh so i'm going uh what's the word in order of what's the chronological chronological (laughs) chronologically in my life so uh i've had a lot of little moments with games where i had these big breaks in between where i wasn't into games at all i was into other stuff and uh there was a big gap from when i had a i think a uh, PlayStation one, right when it came out and I got sick of that. And then I was into playing guitar and stuff more. And then way later towards the end of the PlayStation two's life, I bought one because my friend was really into games and I wanted to be into games too. And I went to blockbuster and I saw this game. I just liked the cover. I liked the title. I knew nothing about it. It It's called shadow of the Colossus. And I brought it home and I, I hadn't really been absorbed in a video game like this, I don't think, ever in my life. It was more that kind of youthful, uh, the way you interact with the game, which is, uh, how do you explain it? You know, when you just you just pop it in and just start from the beginning, and it's just kind of fun to, to mess around, you know, crash the car over and over again. That kind of, you know, um, I had never been absorbed in a game like, like maybe some people do with uh, Zelda or something. I never had that. But Shadow of the Colossus spoke to me. I think because um, it's such a, it's such a mysterious game, and I think I'm I'm really drawn to that narration style where where it doesn't tell you much of anything. I think in the beginning of the game, there's a, like a short little cutscene where the princess is asleep or something, and and you have to go and do something to save her, and then you just go and. Um, it's a 3D game, if you don't know. I think many people know this game already. Uh, 3D sort of open world game, I would say. Yeah, it was an open world game. Uh, you can kind of choose the order in which you do things. Um, but it's a really like empty world. I think there maybe is like a lizard crawling around <laughs> here and there. Um, some birds. But it's just really empty. Uh, there's no other humans there's no other like uh, minions. It's just these giant colossi uh, scattered throughout the world. I think there's maybe thirteen of them or so. Um, do you know? <laughs> Not top of my. It head, doesn't no. matter. There's a roughly thirteen. I would say maybe there's eight. I don't know. But um, so you get on your horse and you just you you hold up your sword and it it points this beam of light in a direction and you just follow it. So maybe there is an order to it. I can't remember now. Um, it's been a while you follow the beam of light and you, you go for quite a while in this beautiful landscape with this sweeping orchestral music, um, which is also minimal at times. Um, but you're, I think when I started playing, I was like, what is this game? I'm just riding my horse 
I guess there's a Colossus somewhere. So then when you get there, <laughs> it's so cinematic the way that the Colossus emerges from the ground. Um, it just, it's the feeling the game gives you that really uh, spoke to me. Um, <clears throat> it feels impossible when you first see the Colossus, you're just this little guy and there's this giant beast. And I love the design designs of all of these Colossus. Um, and you have to figure it out. There's no, there's no tutorial or anything. And, and you have to look for openings to go and jump and grab onto this Colossus on its leg, maybe. And you start climbing. And remember the controls are so tactile. The, the way the, the feeling of holding onto the triggers to hold on to the, the beast it really you know it 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 translates it feels like i'm holding on for dear life it's kind of sw- when it when it's moving a lot it kind of swings you around and and you, you can't really climb at that moment and um i don't know and you're just like white knuckling yeah 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 <laughs> and you're trying to find these weak spots and then you you find the the little glowing weak spot on the colossus and you stab it and this black blood like squirts out and it's just this enormous battle um but somehow you you can do it. And um, remember the difficulty wasn't too bad, but I think it was probably one of the first like really hard games I played. Um, but it's just a beautiful game. I mean, it's been remade, I think, twice now, uh, updating the graphics. I've only played the very first one, uh, which was beautiful then. I don't know. It's just, it's quiet, and then it's not, and uh, it doesn't, I don't know, it it affected me for some reason. And I think it's like the first time I remember thinking about video games as, as a work of art Mm -hmm. and it's just a super cool game. That's I've considered playing that, uh, the HD version. Yeah. But I've never pulled the trigger on it. Oh, it's so good. Did did you, did you play the, did you play it back in the day when it came out on PS2? Me? No, I didn't have a PS2. Okay. Yeah. I'd highly recommend it then. It's, it is very cool. And like Andres said, very contemplative yet cinematic. It's I, I'm sure it, it has to hold up, right? It, it has to hold it up. It has to. I know it does. It's a special game. I can see how it's influenced like Breath of the Wild. It's it's influenced a lot of stuff. It just it feels these these colossus just feel so big and cool and they're all so different from one another and the way you take them down is is unique each time. It's just a straightforward game. There's just these 10 or 12 Colossus. Go take them down. Nothing in between. Um, but it feels like such a journey. 16. I, I, I looked it up. Oh, cool, cool. 16, yeah. Yeah. 16 awesomely designed uh, guys. Play it. Is there sure. like a narrative conclusion? Uh, or does it just, does it end like it begins where you, you're left with questions? and It feels, it, that okay, that's the other thing about the game you get this feeling when you come upon this giant Colossus that you've disturbed it and you're waking it up from some like thousand year slumber and suddenly you're killing it. And, and after you do it, there's like a sad theme that plays in the, there's this black kind of spirit that floats away out of the body. And you know that you're doing this to try to save like your princess or I don't know who it is. They don't say, um, and you just keep going. It's like, okay, let's go kill this next beautiful giant beast. And you kind of have this weird like morality. I don't know. You, I kind of, it makes you kind of feel some things by the end. You're like, what did I just do? 
you know <laughs> why did i just kill those like amazing giant creatures um so yeah there, there's like it it makes you think at in the end there's there's it's there's a story there um but not not a typical story yeah not typically told anyway yeah play it it's cool cool it's more than cool it's it's amazing um that's all i got to say about it man that i gotta play awesome. it now I, I wish i'd played it now <laughs> You still can. I think it, it will hold up for sure. You think so? I, 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 I think the reason why I haven't done it is I feel like it might be one of those games that, you know, in the moment, because like you said, it was very influential and it like meant yeah. a lot to a lot of people. And going back to it, uh-huh. I don't know. I feel like I've, uh, I've heard enough ex- people talk uh, talk about it and I've heard a bit about the end of the game and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's sounds pretty heavy. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, it would be cool to not know any of that and go into it. And how amazing that would be! I, I don't know. know if it would have the same impact, you know, knowing what I know. Right, right. That's true. There's those things in life where you're, you're so grateful that you didn't know anything about it. So just my experience of just renting it and just going and never heard of it before. Yeah, and discovering what it is. I know it's true. It's a different experience, but I think it's worth just. It's going to be on the new PlayStation. Uh, uh, whatever pass they're gonna oh the, their version of game pass yeah so if you get the playstation membership that comes included yeah get- i'm very iffy on that i don't know i already pay i already give them the amounts <laughs> to get the two free games i don't know like right i think they got to do more with that service before they get me to shell out more cash for that thing <laughs> well most people have played all those games i think yeah they're all just like their major games which I've never played any of them, so I, I would love to actually do it. Oh, but yeah, yeah, there you go. People, yeah, that's almost why I have the PlayStation. Is like I get would would get all of the uh, you know the console exclusives because they're so cool. Yeah, there's so many I need to play. That's the one I got. What I've done. No, nice. I, I think the I think the mechanics of taking down the Colossus still is pretty singular. I don't I don't know. I can't really think of anything else that really feels like that. So like the experience of of fighting those bosses is totally different. It's not like Elden Ring where you're leveling up and slashing. It's more like a like a like a classic boss fight, figuring out patterns and weak spots mm. and stuff. It's cool. Cool. All right, man. I didn't know I was so passionate about that. I just like thought <laughs> I didn't prepare anything, but it turns <laughs> out awesome. I must really love that game. Um, <laughs> all right, Evan. What's yours? Number two. Well, I'm also passionate about this game, but I'm not going to do a very good job describing it because I have so many things I want to say about it, but I just, I know I'll forget <laughs> them all, but it's Final Fantasy VII, the original one for PlayStation. Um, uh, but they're, the way I was introduced to it was um, just at my friend's house. His, his older brother was playing it. I think they were taking turns, and I had never seen a game like that before, and they were playing they were at a point in the game where they're pretty far into the story. So a lot of stuff was happening. And I remember seeing like, well, they had acquired the airship at a certain point. You're able to navigate the entire globe and drop down on these different locations and stuff with an airship. And I, I had no idea what I was watching, but I, I, it was amazing. And, um, I was asking him questions about it and I didn't really understand that you could have a fantasy game that was, that had sci-fi elements and, that were there that were kind of like not Star Wars, but like diesel punk, I guess. I don't know if that's the right 
punk uh, description of it, but <laughs> you basically jump off a train right in the punk. beginning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Steampunk. And yeah, and it changed my understanding of fantasy games because it was a Japanese RPG and their hero archetypes are way different than like muscle bound swords and sorcery dudes that I was used to that would you'd see on the cover of like, um, I don't know, uh, what are those fantasy books called? Uh, something uh, dragon dragon lance dragon lance. Thank you. Yeah. Although they didn't really have muscle bound guys, but they had uh, they, traditional they had, yeah. Cameron. <laughs> he, he was he was a like beefy warrior type. So, yeah. <laughs> you pulled the name. What was the name? Huh? Uh, what was Cameron? Uh, Cameron. Like, oh, yeah. It's Raceland's brother. Cameron. I don't, I, I don't I know. I never read the series. I wanted. Yeah. There's too many of them. I just I was overwhelmed. Um, but yeah, anyways, it, it, I didn't know. Uh, I didn't really know of rpgs up until that point for a game for video game consoles other than i used to rent shining force 2 for sega genesis and that was more of a real-time strategy or not real-time strategy but uh tactics based rpg um and i was at the age where i didn't even realize that was a japanese game um so ff7 was just like a game changer for me uh, eye opener and the story was super immersive it had all these crazy narrative elements like oppressive corporation like controlled cities and cosmic horrors wacky monsters and um <laughs> there's like tragic parts to the story too so there's just so much about it that i, I and i just became like an ad- addicted to the this whole series of final fantasy games because because maybe i was trying to recapture the the magic of seven that I experienced. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that's, that's my number two. Mm-hmm. Do any of the sequels measure up to seven in your opinion? The, uh, the other ones in the series. Yeah. Um, the, a lot of people love 10 and I really like 10. Um, a lot of people like nine, a lot of, a lot of people like six. Um, yeah. And I think six might give seven a run for its money, maybe. Um, uh, I really like eight, even though it's universally um, not respected. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. It has cool time travel and stuff, and the villain wants to compress all of time into one space or something. It's just a weird storyline. But what's 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 your runner up after seven? What's 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 your second place for the series for you? Seven remake. It's <laughs> <laughs> a cheating answer. <laughs> Do you still no, prefer I, the the original though over the remake? I, I do. Uh, it has a a charm. The the graphics are awful, so bad. Um, yeah, but it has this really um, well thought. Well, not I don't know if it's really well thought, but imaginative environments and locations and and the music is that's one thing i forgot to mention is i just love the music mm-hmm. um it's amazing so um but runner up uh i think i guess six six is really good it's a really good game that was on snes I don't, yep i don't know if it should be remade but um i definitely would play it if it was <laughs> mm. i never i never played this game did you guys play it seven yeah final fantasy seven yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. No, I didn't play it. I started playing the remake 
but then I hmm. kind of fizzled out on it. <laughs> I think you talked about it on this show. Yeah. yeah. The first episode. I, I got to a battle. I was with these stupid turrets that were just murdering me. I'm like, yeah, I'll pass. <laughs> you just send weird numbers all over the place. And you didn't know yeah, I, what the numbers are being attributed to. Exactly. I couldn't tell how I was being hit or what was happening. And I tried the battle a couple times and then I just got doing something else and never got the urge to go back. But hearing you talk about it makes me want to go back and maybe try that again. I know. I want to play the first one. I really want My- to like it. But I, I understand where you're coming from. But I do not. I can. It's it's a very. If you've never played it before, it's a hard game to to try out because the graphics are so they're just they're not great. I thought they looked amazing as a kid, and I remember like yeah, me too, wanting to yeah. rent it, and it was always checked out. And I finally got it, and it made no sense to me. I, I had no <laughs> vocabulary for that kind of game. Just like what numbers, and I'm not actually fight. You know, it was first RPG I think I ever tried mm-hmm. to play. And it's still kind of, I still well, kind of feel that way about JRPGs. A lot of the um, actual character models are obviously awful looking, you know, that PS1. But a lot of the environments are still very cool because yeah. they were pre-rendered. Like, yeah, they were pre-rendered to yeah. just 2D images. So I feel like those held, hold up a lot better than the character art does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're very charming environments. They're kind of... They're not. They're they're scaled to the proportions of the chunky 3D models. So they're they're all kind of cartoony or exaggerated but in a in a really unique way i was obsessed with like the box art and and you know Mm -hmm. the look of that blonde boy whatever his name (laughs) is cloud cloud yeah yeah. i was i I loved it i looked you know i stared at pictures of him (laughs) yeah and one more thing is is if you can understand the weird complex story his his backstory is super interesting too and i I guess I won't spoil anything, even though the game's however many years old. Came out '97. <laughs> well, I might, but. I might get into it someday. It's always like <laughs> the old one is always like eight bucks on the Nintendo eShop. I'll dive in someday. Yeah. Thanks, thanks, Evan. Yeah, Fisher's turn for number two. Yeah, so I've also been kind of going chronological. Um, so we're getting kind of more into recent memory for me. So my number two, uh, I know we've been doing mostly video games today, but my number two is a uh, card game, uh, which is uh, Netrunner. So for those of you who uh, aren't familiar, though I imagine a lot of our listeners probably are, um, Netrunner was a card game originally designed in the 90s by Richard Garfield shortly after Magic the Gathering. Um, It kind of had a short lifespan then, but uh, Fantasy Flight Games... Um, later picked up the license, much later, uh, kind of uh, about a decade ago-ish, picked up the license. We I got think. the license as part of like this bulk deal. And it was kind mm-hmm. of thrown in there along with Fortress America and I forget what the other ones were that we had. But Okay, so if it was in there with Fortress America, that was like 2011. So yeah, yeah. like a little over a decade ago. Yeah, so... Um, so Fantasy Flight got got this, and then um, we put it into uh, our cyberpunk setting, Android, um, which was from the Android board game, and made Android Netrunner, uh, and published that for uh, many years, uh, several years. Um, and uh, it, it did pretty well for us, and I, I think has been 
pretty popular. Uh, it, it was pretty popular, and um, that's where I mainly got into it. So I, I played a game or two of it when I was a kid, and didn't get it right. <laughs> I I think it, I was just wasn't in the right time of life. But when I was at Fantasy Flight, and um, I, I started playtesting when we were doing the internal playtest of the core set, um, I kind of started with it and got very into it. Um, and I had decks, and um, I never fully participated in tournaments since I worked at the company um, that was making the game. But uh, I participated in our internal tournaments um, and uh, got very into like the deck building community and stuff for the game. So it, it is a game that is very near and dear to my heart. Uh, but I, it is on my list for a slightly different reason than just my my love for the game, uh, much like my answer last week, which was kind of cheating because I snuck Dungeons and Dragons into my uh, answer about fiasco. <laughs> uh, th- this answer is also kind of cheating because if I if I was actually quantifying just the games that had the largest size of impact, total volume of impact on my design knowledge and my game experience, the card game I would put in the slot would probably be Magic: The Gathering. Uh, I've obviously played a ton of Magic: The Gathering. Uh, it's I, I, I've been playing it since like uh, early high school, and um, th- kind of on and off throughout my my entire adult life. Um, and so obviously that game has been very influential to me. But I think Magic has also been very influential to the tabletop games industry as a whole. In fact, it's become so influential that. When you say trading card games, what people picture is a game a lot like Magic the Gathering. Um, They almost expect the game to involve some kind of creature or being with a power and toughness that are battling it out on a table, right? That is like, you know, if anything, like what we call card games are generally more magic alikes than card games per se. You know, um, it is really dominated, dominated the whole space. Um, and similarly, you know, it, it dominated a lot of my impressions of what a card game is from playing it through most of my life. And that's why I think Netrunner takes this, this slot for me instead of Magic is because Netrunner showed me what card games could do beyond that kind of Magic archetype. Obviously, like, you know, I can play Bridge or other, like, card games, <laughs> but as far as, like, a trading card game or, you know, living card game, these customizable card games, what they can do. uh, Netrunner breaks that mold uh, with one player playing a hacker and the other player player playing a corporation and the hacker's trying to hack in and one person's trying to, the corporation's trying to achieve nefarious goals and the hacker's trying to steal those nefarious goals from the corporation. And so the win condition is a little different than your standard kill each other. You're not, you don't really have creatures there's like programs on the board that you can install to protect yourself or to attack the other player and um it just doesn't feel like a lot of the other card games that dominate the market and i think that's probably somewhat due to the fact that it was designed by garfield the guy who designed magic shortly after he designed magic so magic had not had time to kind of take over the industry as a whole because, like, you know, obviously Garfield can think beyond magic, but even some of his more recent designs share some DNA with magic, right? And so I think it even influences him. But back then, magic wasn't as prevalent. 
And so I think he was kind of thinking in these avenues for card games beyond that archetype. And you can really see it in the design for Netrunner. Um, so, so yeah, anyway, uh, it, the fact that it broke away from that archetype is really what struck me. Uh, it has this cool asymmetry to it. It has in, hidden information, and it's kind of modeling this abstract thing of hacking each other instead of just like real-world physical battles. Um, so yeah, that's uh, it's it's definitely impacted how I see card games, and I think it's definitely impacted how I've approached uh, our work on Earthborn Rangers and thinking about it as this game of exploration and working with nature instead of one of conflict. Hmm. Yeah. I think one of the things I really love about Netrunner also is just the amount of, uh, jargon sounds like a pejorative, but I love the jargon in the game and how everything <laughs> has a, a name that is not what you think. Like your hand as the runner is your grip, but your hand is the corp is, uh, is HQ and your deck is your stack you know then you like or r&d an r&d yeah so yeah. there's there's just all this terminology you have to learn and I, I remember the when i played uh when we were preparing to so i was in the art department at the time when we were working on uh netrunner so when i would play a game it would be to like all right here's to you know get you up to speed on what we're doing so you can start thinking about what we're going to be doing with the artwork just to get you familiar with it and michael hurley and i played the old uh green and purple netrunner starter which uh <laughs> man we made a lot of great improvements to that game uh both in usability and in the look of it but i remember for like the first hour just like just every once in a while just laughing just like what is this game like i was looking at these words <laughs> and uh for the rules text and it's just all these words you just don't know what any of them mean you have no context for any of it and uh so i would just you know it's like ah, i guess i'll just try this thing whatever this is it's just you know pushing the buttons uh but then as it made sense started to make sense it'll it, has so much charm to it i think because of that so if you're like you're willing to get over that hump uh and then learn the vocabulary of the game uh it just it's so rewarding so i think that's one thing i really wanted to bring over into rangers i think we which we've done we've gone like, like maybe halfway on that uh we, we don't have you know unique names for everything to where you know like we've had these discussions like do we call it the path or the path deck like part of me really just wants to call it the path, but like, ah, fine, we'll just call it the path deck. It's the path deck. So people yeah. know it's a deck, but stuff like that. I, 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 I have, I think I've, I've slashed more jargon than anyone else. So I apologize. Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we really ended up slashing a whole lot in the end. Uh, I couldn't really think of names for other things like your hand and your deck, uh, mm. that I thought were like worthy of, uh, inclusion, but, um, there's, I think there's just the right amount of flavorful jargon in our game. Mm, flavorful jargon. <laughs> Everyone loves some flavorful jargon. <laughs> um, thanks, Fisher. Great pick. I've heard so many good things, so much good things about that game. Um, Andrew, what's your number two? My number two 
is <laughs> Lord of the Rings, the card game. Hell yeah. Nice. <laughs> yeah. I never knew. I Go on. Oh, yeah, go ahead. No, what were you say? <laughs> I just I, I didn't know this game existed. Oh. But I'm interested. Yes. I love Lord of the Rings. Okay. So tell me about Lord it. of the Rings, the card game is my number two for a few reasons. Um but uh, so this was uh, a living card game that we did at at FFG. So I'm still going chronologically, so we're gonna start getting into the games that you know that I've worked on a bit. Um but Lord of the Rings was a game that we developed, I think, almost concurrently when we were working on the Star Wars LCG. And uh, we had a few other LCGs that were out. We had Game of Thrones uh, and Call of Cthulhu. Both of those were kind of reworked adaptations of the collectible card game version and now in a living card game format. So they were like fixed cards. And then we had Warhammer invasion, uh, that was kind of cooking along that, uh, <laughs> I don't know that that game didn't, didn't do super great for us, but we had all these competitive games that were LCGs. And then we came out with Lord of the Rings, which was a cooperative or solo, uh, game. And, so this was designed by uh, Nate French, and he—I've heard this story, and you know, obviously he could—it's his story. But the uh, the story that I've heard about the creation of it was he was inspired by uh, this process of preparing for competitive games, where you would make a deck <clears throat> that would simulate your opponent. And then you'd make your own deck and then you kind of just play this kind of pseudo game against a phantom opponent and then tune your deck and then, you know, draw some more cards and try to do it again and try to get better opens and, you know, have better responses to uh, the things that will come out of what you might expect to see in a competitive meta. And then that led him to this idea of uh, making a game where that, where that was the game. And he pitched that to Christian uh, Peterson, and he loved the idea. And then they uh, wrapped Lord of the Rings around it because Chris loves Lord of the Rings. So I'm sure he was just happy to have an excuse to do something with Lord of the Rings. Um, but for me, uh, so this was a game that I didn't really get to work on very much. I did place all the art on all the cards in the course set. <laughs> uh, um, but apart from that, I really didn't do a whole lot. I made, make a, I made like a token and I uh, did the rule book graphics. That was about it. But I was super excited to play it because I think, you know, one of the biggest challenges of, you know, having a family, being an adult, uh, not necessarily having people around all the time that can play games. Like I played Magic, you know, I'd played, you know, I had owned Game of Thrones and Call of Cthulhu and Warhammer Invasion. I really could only play those at work uh, over lunch breaks <laughs> if I could find someone to play with. And everyone at work is way better than me. So I'd always just get my ass kicked. So it's not super fun uh, 
all the time. <laughs> uh, sometimes it's fun to get your ass kicked, but getting your ass kicked all the time gets a little, no. a little tiresome. <laughs> it gets old. It once, does. Yeah. It does. Uh, so I was really excited to have this game that kind of like scratched that same itch of that uh, that kind of complex card game where you can really get into deck building and get into strategy, but then you could just play it by yourself. Uh, which to me at the time just felt just like revolutionary. And it may have been like, I don't really know if there was a solo card game like out of the box prior to this. I think there were some like house rules for other games that you could solo, but I I wasn't aware of any. Do you you guys know? At least not to the same scope that I'm aware of. Yeah. Uh, the internet would probably tell us, <laughs> but I wasn't aware of any anyway. So, uh, I remember when I first got the corset, I, I still remember it very clearly, which is, is just saying something because I've you know played a bajillion games and I can't remember playing a lot of them, at least the first time I played them. And I just remember sitting at my kitchen table, laying out the game. I probably had like a glass of wine or a cup of coffee, depending on the time of the day. Uh, And then just playing through the opening, uh, the opening adventure and just how magical it was for this game to just be doing its own thing. And then I have to react to it. But then obviously, eventually, the game also ended up kicking my ass. So I still ended up getting my ass kicked in the end anyway, because uh, the Lord of the Rings is a, is a very difficult game. And there were some things that I was doing incorrectly that I think made the game easier <laughs> once I learned that I was doing it incorrectly. I was like, oh, God damn it. For people who know, there's a uh, quest. There's a quest phase in the game. So when you... Uh, so maybe I should go back and maybe talk a little bit about what you do in the game. So you, mm-hmm. you have uh, a group of... Uh, up to three heroes and they're all drawn from Lord of the Rings lore. So you could have like Aragorn, Gimli and Legolas, which I mean, that's just awesome. Mm-hmm. I, I love Lord of the Rings. So just being able to like, just have that array of dudes in front of you is pretty sweet. <laughs> uh, and then um, you build a deck uh, like pulling from their, uh, So each of them is a, like affiliated with a certain, uh, I think there might be called aspects in Lord of the Rings. Are they spheres? Or spheres. That's what it is. Spheres. Yeah. Uh, and each one's associated with a sphere, and then you build your deck with cards of that sphere. And then when you uh, play cards, you need to like pull resources off of your heroes, and your heroes will generate resources every turn. And that's the energy that you then use to to play your cards from your deck. And you'll have a plot, like a plot deck that you're going through. And it's like a, it's a very small deck of cards that creates this very kind of like simple linear story that you're progressing through. And your goal is to complete all of those, uh, all the cards in the plot deck before the Eye of Sauron gets fixed upon you and you lose. And that's represented by this dial that the, with numbers on it that then creep up steadily throughout the course of the game. And I think when you're when that meter gets to 50, uh then you then you lose. 
So uh, then throughout the game, you'll be drawing off of this encounter deck and it'll put like things like orcs and spiders and obstacles and uh, different like locations you can go visit uh, out onto the board and you have to manage dealing with those dangers while also putting progress toward the plot. And that's the, you know, that's the, that's the basics of the game. Uh, but those, that encounter deck is brutal. So like every turn, if there's things in front of you, they'll attack you. Uh, and then they'll get their, their attacks buffed by cards off of the encounter deck, these shadow cards that you draw, then flip over and they do mean things to you. And then you have to go on the quest and then based on your quest value versus the quest value of the cards in play, they can either, you can either like put progress on the quest or you just get wrecked some more. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that's the basics. It's, it's very, I think at its core, very simple, very simple game. Uh, but there's definitely enough there mechanically where, you know, we made hundreds of products for this card game. Like, I think mm. literally maybe like 150 or something like that. Could be, could yeah, be more. Yeah, count all the, the nightmare decks. Yeah, I'm counting the nightmare decks. Extra, yeah. that, that get extra harder versions of everything, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like the game needed to be extra hard. Uh, but i know i i was losing and then yeah like the the hardcore fans who you know like master the game are like we need harder missions and i'm like i'm still losing like you know two campaigns ago yeah yeah so i think uh so i i did a uh podcast appearance on cardboard of the rings which is a lord of the rings lcg dedicated podcast that's been around Mm. for like like a decade plus (laughs) and um talked about it a little bit there uh the core set the old core set was probably like one of the worst introductions to the game because like the the third uh the third scenario in that core set was just so brutal it was like you know i said you had like your three heroes it starts that scenario by taking one of those heroes and putting them in prison and then you have to go get them out so you're like you're down resources uh, right from the beginning of the game. Uh, and playing that solo, I was, I, I don't really know if it's, I think it's technically possible to win, but you have to be really, really good. And I don't know if you can do it with a single core set. Uh, maybe you can. I couldn't do it. Uh, so I, I really, really loved the game at the beginning, especially, you know, just uh, being able to play by myself. Uh, and it was just really delightful. It's like so much theme that came through, uh, and the art for it was really awesome. And the graphic design is really great too. Um, old graphic designer Kevin Childress, uh, who worked at FFG for a few years, uh, did the graphic design for that game, and it was, um, I think it's some of his best work. Uh, it's really really great. Um, so I really enjoyed it at first. I ended up buying a lot of it, but I didn't really play a ton after that but i have a pretty substantial lord of the rings lcg uh collection of things i haven't played but and i think as it went on and uh, and on and more content was made for it uh like caleb and uh and mj ended up essentially creating an like almost like a new game with every expansion 
they just bolt on new ways to interact with the systems. Like they had like a, there was a one that added a boat and all these boat mechanics. Uh, but like each expansion and each cycle would effectively add on these new thematic elements to the game. Um, so I, I was always really interested in it, but didn't really play it a lot after that. But obviously the game was super influential to me, not only because I really enjoyed it at the time, but obviously there would be no Earthborn Rangers without Lord of the Rings, the card game. Um, hmm. So I think a lot of what I want wanted to do with Earthborn Rangers is, you know, create a game that spoke to like the promise that I felt that Lord of the Rings held for me, like this idea that you could go and explore and go on adventures um, without it being this like brutally punishing <laughs> Uh, strategic puzzle that required you yeah. to effectively like recreate your deck with every scenario because that that's really kind of what the game is meant to be is like could present you with this really difficult thing you see what it's doing to you and then adjust with your deck to then defeat it um and i just want to go on adventures and do cool <laughs> stuff uh yeah. so um so yeah i, I think you know it, uh oh like earthborn rangers owes a lot to this game and to and to nate uh for creating it and then you know all the people that supported it over the years um it, it means it means a lot to me and it means a lot to earthborn so that's why it is number two on my on my list awesome awesome pick awesome stories you guys um we are running long again or not long but we're we're towards the end of our usual podcast so another speed round stuff we're into you guys ready we're just gonna yes. say it at the, oh yeah let's all just say it at the same time <laughs> just just like what we're into just a cacophony of four yeah, different people just talk just awful. talk about it <laughs> um i'm i am into uh i've been playing breath of the wild again I love that game a lot. I got the expansion pass finally, which came out way back, like five years ago. And uh, I just wanted to get it so I could see where I've been. It, it kind of like draws a map of everywhere you've gone, like retraces your path. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. It's just like this blue line, like exactly where you've been. So I can just go to places I haven't been and find more shrines and Korok seeds. And uh, I still haven't beaten the game. I've been kind of putting that off so that's been fun does it show you the blue line even if from your save file from before that yes got added to the game yep from the that's whole- wild so they were storing that data the whole time that- yeah up to 200 huh. hours i think so if you've played over 200 hours it's not going to track pre then <laughs> but um, what is the blue line it shows where you've been like in the world like all around on the, the map, map. Like when you look at the map, you, going. you can see like where you've uh, walked or explored. It's, it's almost like a, a ghost that you'd race against a recording of yourself in like a racing game or something. Yeah, it's or, a record. Or it's a recording of like a, yourself. Yeah. Oh, like if you're looking at the map overall, like it'll show you like a line of oh, where you've gotcha. been. Okay. Like the mini That's map. Cool. Yeah, because the game. What I find so fun about it is just discovering little secret things. The little korok seeds are always hidden in cool little anomalies in the scenery i find that really fun 
Seeds. Seeds, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Fisher. Yeah, well, um, usually I try to report video games and stuff I've played in this section, but I actually haven't been playing many video games this last couple of weeks. I uh, have been going outside a lot, um, just with the nice weather, though we did have a couple of thunderstorms recently. So doing some climbing and just getting outside, doing a bunch of super exciting yard work uh, to fight back the entropy of weeds. Um, but uh, one of kind of my nerdy media things I did, um, Sam, uh, my wife and I, uh, we watched the Apple TV show Severance. Heard great things. Um, yeah, it was... I mean, like, it's one of those shows where you can't spoil anything, so I really can't actually talk about it. Yeah, yeah. But it was pretty cool. It um, it kind of, it has that bizarre, slightly sinister mystery vibes that, like, Lost did, early Lost did. Yeah. Um, so it kind of, like, has Lost vibes, a little Westworld, and then, like, a little office space. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. It's... uh. The core concept of the show is that there's like this big pharmaceutical company and they develop this thing called severance where basically you can, uh, they, they do something to your mind where when you're at work, you don't remember anything outside of work. And when you leave work, you don't remember anything inside. So it basically <laughs> creates two, like a severed personality. Your work persona is severed from your real life wow. persona and then things get a lot weirder from there. Um, there's only one season so far, so I have no idea if they'll deliver or if they'll pull a Lost or Westworld and just, you know, flub the whole thing. Uh, <laughs> that certainly seems like the trend in these kinds of shows, but uh, so far, we've been enjoying it a lot. So Those shows kind of dream too big sometimes, and they they can't deliver what they are trying to help the viewers imagine what the outcome will be sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. They're better at asking questions than providing yeah. answers. Yeah. I, Interesting. yeah. So, uh, you know, it check back in at earthborn Rangers podcast episode, you know, 300 and something for my answer <laughs> as to whether or not they deliver at the end of severance. Okay. <laughs> All right. Cool. Evan, tell us. Um, yeah, I, haven't been doing much, uh, but I did install uh, Jedi. Uh, was it now? I'm forgetting it. Fallen Order. Mm. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I, I had played through that game once, and I really enjoyed it. And I saw that it was. Um, I had it for the PC, but um, <laughs> my hard drive is really full of full up right now. So I d decided to get it on my PlayStation Five, and it was on sale, and I played it and it was it's a lot of fun but i just haven't had a lot of time to get into it so that's pretty much all there is to it <laughs> yeah that's a great but, game they announced um, the sequel right yeah. yeah yeah that that's that was really exciting to see that um i really enjoyed the game it's awesome sweet andrew yeah i haven't really played a whole lot either um i'm still watching the nba playoffs it's almost done I've, my <laughs> I've been uh, uh, watching basketball pretty much every night for the past two months. It's a lot. It's a lot, <laughs> it's of, a lot bas of basketball. It's a lot, it's a lot of basketball. <laughs> but the finals, the finals are fi finally set. They start on Thursday, so 
four to seven games more, then I'll be done. <laughs> hey, yeah. back to I feel life. like it's almost like binging a show that you're like, yeah, I've gotten this far. I may as well just finish it out. Yeah. Uh, but in relation to that, my uh, my son, uh, who I mentioned, I was like, yeah, I was kind of thinking about picking up NBA 2K22 because it was on sale. Uh, and I mentioned it to him and that was a mistake because then he just badgered me about it for all day until yeah. I got it. Uh, <laughs> so I tried playing that game. It's been a long time since I've played a basketball video game. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's so difficult. Really? It's, there's so much. Yeah. It's, it's a lot like playing a fighting game, uh, mm-hmm. except with way more inputs right? than, uh, than a typical fighter like effectively anything that you see a basketball player do in a game you can do now and it's all a bunch of like thumbstick combos oh my god comboed with buttons and then using the triggers as shift keys and then based on your position to the basket and the ball position if it's in your left or right hand will do different things Wow. Uh, yeah, it's it's just it's too much. That's too much. Yeah. To keep in mind, <laughs> it's too much, and then to know what the screen, like the in, the input you're getting from the screen, uh, to like to know like how you should respond, like what's the best way, you know, to what's the best button combo to get past him to score to to make a basket. It's <laughs> it's too much. Like I'm like I played double dribble. That was like my my basketball game, the old Konami <laughs> double dribble. Oh yeah, where it was just good stuff. Shoot, like I think it's all you did is shoot and pass. <laughs> yeah, you want you want like NBA Jam. NBA yeah, Jam. NBA yeah. Jam. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> they might have a more arcadey mode in the game. I haven't found it yet, but man, it's just a little it's just a little too much, and I'm just terrible at it. I think it's games that require skill are are, are important. But I also think that it's important for games that require skill to still be fun when you're not <laughs> skillful at them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right, right, and right. I f- yep. feel like this game is, at least for me, so difficult that I just wasn't having any, any fun with it. <laughs> but my son's playing it. He's having fun with it. So that's the Oh, that's good. It's for the youth. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I've been doing. Awesome. Well, that brings us to the end of the show uh thanks for joining us everybody it's been fun reach out to us info at earthborngames.com facebook discord youtube comments wherever we'll answer your questions and we'll see you next time bye-bye bye thanks everyone bye